Welcome to Sabbath School Study Hour. My name is Dakota Day. I'm a public speaker and evangelist with the Ministry of Amazing Facts. And I am here now at the Granite Bay Hilltop SDA Church, where we are going to study the Bible together today. Uh, I want to tell you about a free offer that we have for you guys that you can take advantage of. Uh, You can see the offer here on the screen. This is actually a little book called 12 Steps to Revival. And I want to tell you how you can get a hold of this little awesome pocketbook. Uh, you can actually contact us at 866-788-3966. Again, that number is 866-788-3966. Um, this is only mailed to the North America and U.S. territories. And you can also get a hold of a digital copy of this by texting SH001 to number 40544. Again, this is North America only. Uh, or for those of you that are outside the U.S. territories and you want to get a hold of this booklet here, you can go to uh, study.aftv.org sh001 and get this book- booklet for yourself so that you can have a, a 12-step process to revival. Uh, well, thank you, friends, so much for joining us today. Uh, and I'm su- super excited about this study that we're going to be diving into. Before we do, it is my uh, privilege and honor to open up the Word of God and open up in prayer. So before we dive in, let's go to God in prayer and ask Him to be with us. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your love and your mercy and your grace. And we are so thankful, Father, for the opportunity to come and study your Word together. Lord, as we look over this Sabbath school study lesson, I pray that your Spirit would truly be with us. Be with all of the listeners, Lord, that are at home and that are trying to have a a deeper understanding of your Word. Lord, we know that you have a great mission that you've called us to. And Lord, we see this in your Word as the Great Commission, where you work with us for the salvation of others. So give us your Holy Spirit, Lord. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what your Spirit says to us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I have lesson number three titled God's Call to Mission. So we're going to be looking over this together and really unpacking a lot of beautiful things from the Word of God. Uh, Our memory text is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And the Word of God says, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So... We see here in this verse, there's a beautiful promise here that God is going to give us power to be witnesses. And uh, I'm going to talk a lot about this verse as we go throughout this study. So thank you guys so much for joining us. We're going to go right into Sunday's lesson, and we're going to see what the Word of God has to say. Sunday's lesson is titled, Moving Beyond Our Comfort Zones. Oftentimes in our Christian journey, we are are challenged to move outside of our comfort zones, uh, whether it's to witness or whether it is to uh, have the opportunity to be able to engage in conversation with people and make friends with people through friendship evangelism. And sometimes many of us, we get get discouraged and we feel like this is impossible for us to be able to move outside of those comfort zones to be able to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what we're going to learn in this study is that God is not leaving us alone. He is not asking us to go all on our own. He is promising to be with us. He says he will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. So we're going to pick it up in Genesis chapter 11. 
This is directly after the, the, the flood that took place in the days of Noah. The children of, of God are now settled uh, on Mount Ararat, and now the, the, the population is beginning to boom again. And what we see is that a kingdom begins to be uh, coming into fruition in Genesis chapter 11, known as the kingdom of Babel. And this kingdom is, is paramount in history because a lot of false teachings came out of this kingdom. And there was a lot of things that were taking place that God had to actually uh, thwart the plans that the enemy was using through these people. And so we see this in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you, uh, open up to Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, and we're going to look at this together. The Word of God says in Genesis 11, verse 1, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into the heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they all have one language. And this they began to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down there and confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad upon uh, thence from the face of the whole earth, and they left off to the build. They left off to build the city. Therefore, his name, uh, the, the name rather, of, uh, is called Babel, because the Lord did confound the language and all of the earth. From thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So we see here in this passage that God is actually, he's not wanting to bring confusion, but God sees that the direction that these people are going is actually going to be detrimental uh, for their own salvation. And so God interrupts what they're doing here with this building, this tower known as the Tower of Babel, whose tops reaches the heavens. And God interrupted the, their plans. Now, one of the main points I want to bring out here is that why would God do this? Why, what was the intentions of the people and why would God actually plan to interrupt what they were planning to do? Well, what we're seeing is that many people in, in, in their journey of life, they like to set up shop in one place. They want to be in one place and they want to make a home in one place. They want to be uh, stationary and they like to build a name for themselves in that area. But this isn't actually God's will for us in our lives. In fact, especially when it comes to witnessing and being a missionary for Christ... God has called us all to preach the gospel of Jesus. He's called us all to go and preach and share that gospel. Whether that You may not be a public speaker or a public preacher, but God has put a calling on all of us to go and share the goodness that He has given to us, the, the, the love of God that He shared with us to others. And uh, in the process of all of this, God is wanting to help us to understand through this story that in settling down and creating a name for ourselves and, and setting up all these big, you know, amazing buildings and these amazing constructions isn't necessarily His plan for us to be stationary, for us to be single-mindedly stationed to one area. God wants us to take the gospel to many places. And so many people today, if you look at our society today, they are caught up keeping up with the Joneses, trying to live the American dream. You know, everyone, I remember when I was in high school, everybody loved to live the American dream and loved to build up to the idea of the American dream. When you go to high school, uh, I'll never forget what it was like. Uh, you know, your teachers drill it and, and just bash it in your brain that 
You need to make good grades so you can, you know, uh, go to, you know, college and you can get a high paying job so that you can get that nice big old jacked up truck and, and the sports car and the driveway and, and the big nice two story house with the white picket fence. And, and then you'll be happy when you get all this success in life. As if all of these materialistic things is what makes us happy and fills up our happy meter. But in reality, friends, many people have come to realize that this isn't actually what makes us happy. And the reason why they call it the American dream is because you have to be asleep to believe it. The only thing that's going to make us happy in these last days is having an intimate, meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. God wants us to have a a beautiful relationship with Him. And He wants us to take that beautiful relationship that we have with Him and let that relationship be a witness unto all other nations that they might see and come to know Him as their personal Savior as well. But in this world we live in, in this society, in this modern culture we live in today, everyone is just collecting things that are either going to rust and burn, and they slave, and they, and, they, and they build these massive homes and all of these things. The same idea that we see in Genesis chapter 11, that they might try to build up some kind of you know, name for themselves and be famous. Everybody wants to be famous. But in reality, when you, when you are introduced to Christianity, one of the main things we have to remember is that You and I are not to increase, we are to decrease. And we see this through the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist says in John 3.30, He must increase and I must decrease. We are not to uh, try to uplift ourselves and our journey and uplift our own experience. We're to have a relationship with Christ. And as a Christian, if you've really fallen in love with Jesus Christ, you're not going to be able to keep your mouth shut. You're going to have to go tell someone about Jesus Christ and the wonderful, beautiful things that He's done for you. Many churches today spend millions of dollars erecting magnificent buildings and, and, and for worship and where they can have all of these vacuous praise clubs and social events and game nights. And they do not realize that they are only maintaining their membership behind this nice, beautiful, comfortable building. God has not asked us to build stationary buildings. Fill them once a week to worship Him and only maintain what He has given us. God has asked us to go and preach the gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. This is part of the three angels' message that the everlasting gospel is going to the whole world. And it's a message that's flying across the world. It's reaching people with the good news of Jesus Christ. But my friends, I want to submit to you a thing that maybe you haven't thought about. If you've been struggling with witnessing, if you've been struggling with sharing Christ with others, I want to, I want to submit to you that it might be because you are not spending enough time with Christ. One of the main reasons why a lot of people do not witness for Jesus Christ and they do not get, do they do not really feel like they're called in the ministry, you could say, is because they themselves have not spent time with Jesus intimately, one-on-one. The only way you can fall in love with Jesus Christ is how, just the same way you fall in love with anyone else in this world. You have to spend time with them. You have to come into relationship with Christ. And that's how you fall in love with Jesus. You have to spend time with Him every day. John chapter 1 verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So how do we get to know Jesus? How do we spend time with Jesus Christ? Obviously, we can't see Him eyeball to eyeball, face to face right now. He's given us that promise that we will once again when we make it to the kingdom of heaven. But God has given us a a way that you and I can see Jesus, and that is through His Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when we spend time in the Word of God, we fall in love with Jesus. You, you, you may have heard the, the, the term before, you are who you hang around. 
The more time you spend with Jesus Christ, the more like Him you will become, the more in love with Him you will fall, and then you will not be able to keep that relationship quiet. You will have to go and share that with someone else. But in today's modern culture, let's be real, a lot of people get this ideology that church or or Christianity is coming to a building, erecting some big magnanimous, you know, project, and, and we come here and they think of church as an event rather than a lifestyle. Church to them is no, none other than showing up to, you know, to a building once a week where you sing some hymns you know, and you, you give some, some uh, praises to God and you do a Bible study and then you go home back to your own passivity that God is trying to pull you out of. You know, Jesus has called us to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. And I hope you guys can understand this. God has called us to be fishers of men, but many of us are only keepers of the aquarium. He wants us to go and make disciples. But this requires for us to die to self and allow God to be God in our human experience. And I want to repeat that again, just so that you hear it. In order for us to be a true missionary for Jesus Christ, we have to die to self so that God can be God in our human experience. In other words, there's not enough room on the throne of your heart for you and God. Just as I say the same to myself, I preach this to myself. There's not enough room on the throne of my heart for me and Jesus. Only room for one. Jesus wants us to be solely committed to Him. He wants us to be holy, but also wholly His, where we belong fully and completely to Him. Now I want to bring something out here that maybe you've never thought about before. When you study the original Old Testament sanctuary, you find something that's pretty amazing when you study this. And that is that the Old Testament sanctuary was a a tent. Now, I don't know if you've ever done any camping before, but it's pretty easy to tear down a tent and to carry it all over the place. In fact, you have tents these days you can fit inside literally a, a little small satchel or even a woman's purse. A whole tent. But in the Old Testament sanctuary, this was a pretty good-sized tent, but it was a tent. It was movable. God never meant for His sanctuary, which is where He dwelt, to be, you know, stationary, to be solidly, you know, foundationalized. And in our world today, when we think of preaching the gospel, we think of only hearing the gospel in locations rather than taking the gospel to the world. True, we have programs just like this where we have television programming and, and uh, all of the televisation of, of the gospel is going out. Yes, and that's wonderful and that's powerful. But there is places in the world where you cannot get the gospel in legally, like China and India and some of these other places that, that, that the gospel is outlawed. Christianity is not welcomed. And the only way we can get into those locations is to go and preach the gospel of Jesus one-on-one, eyeball to eyeball. And so, my friends, I want to encourage you. Understand the lesson I'm about to share with you. This is very profound. There is so much profundity in this lesson here. Notice the original Old Testament sanctuary was a tent. But it eventually became a stationary building. And we're going to look at this for a bit and figure out how did this happen. How did this Old Testament sanctuary that was once a tent become a stationary building that would be erected where everybody would come to worship God and and it wouldn't be an ongoing tent that would be moving throughout the world? Well, let's take a look here in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verses 1 through 7. We're going to read first. Notice what the Word of God says. If you have your Bibles, please open up to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all of his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. 
but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. So what, what, what was going on here is that David is seeing him in this beautiful, wonderful you know, presence, that, uh, this uh, building that he's dwelling in, and he looks out and he sees that God is dwelling in a tent. And he's saying, Lord, who am I that I should dwell in a building, in a wonderful place of, of cedar, and you're dwelling in a podunk tent? So David, in his enthusiasm and in his zeal to do something wonderful for God, he came up with an idea. And notice what happens here. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we're going to read in verse 3. And Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. But remember, Nathan didn't seek the Lord first about this admonition. He actually told David, Hey, it sounds good, David. It sounds like you've got a good heart. You sounds like you've got a good zeal and passion to do something wonderful for God. But then notice verse 4. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? I love this because God is basically coming to David and he's saying, David, you're going to build me a house to dwell in? You're going to build me a house. So God is like, really, David? Like, ha- have I asked you to do this? Notice the, the verbiage and the, and the, the lingo that God uses here to try to get David to see that this was not his original plan. This was not his original will. Notice verse 6. He says, Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle, in all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye not me a house of cedar? So he says to David, Have I ever said to any of my servants in the past, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Why have you not built me this wonderful structure for me to dwell in? So God is trying to get David to see, David, I've never said this to any of my servants. All the way down, all the way to Abraham, I've never said this to anybody. What makes you think I need you to build me a house? But then God says this to David. Go with me to verse verse, um, 8. Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheepcote, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people over Israel. Now, jump with me to verse 12, and notice what he says. And when thy days be fulfilled, speaking to David, when your days are fulfilled, notice, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. So pay close attention to this. God is telling David that after you, when you are asleep in the grave, after you, I will set up a seed through you And notice what he says, and I will establish his kingdom. So God is saying, listen, I'm going to build the kingdom through this seed that's going to come through you. David, of course, interprets this, that he was speaking of one of his physical sons. And later he builds this constructural plan that he might construct the sanctuary. And Solomon, of course, if you know your Bible story, notice he's the one who later comes along and builds the first stationary sanctuary. All right? Stationary sanctuary. But was this God's plan? Was a stationary sanctuary the will of God? Did God want His tabernacle to be in one place? Was that His original plan? No. 
What did he make his original tabernacle? He could have had the children of Israel construct the most wonderful tabernacle that the world had ever seen. And he could have done it right out there at the base of Mount Sinai. But instead, God has them to build a tent. I want to submit to you there's a reason why. A very significant and profound reason why. And that is because God's sanctuary was to always be moving. God's sanctuary was to always keep moving. God's sanctuary was a gospel plan of salvation to the whole world. And you see this, if you study the sanctuary quite significantly, you'll see that every aspect of the sanctuary, from the courtyard to the holy place to the most holy place, was the gospel message. It was a step-by-step process that you are to have salvation. In fact, we see this quite today. But what is the sanctuary? By the way, let me ask this question. What happened to all the stationary sanctuaries? If you're questioning, if you might be questioning, but Dakota, hold on a second. God allowed it, though, so it might have been His will. Well, there's a big difference between what the will of God is and what God allows to, have, to be done. Keep that in mind. What happened to every stationary sanctuary that, that the children of Israel built? Every single one of them plummeted to its destruction. But then when you get to the New Testament, after 70 A.D., when, when the sanctuary is destroyed again by, by Titus, what does the Bible tell us is the sanctuary in the New Testament? If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 16. Notice what the Word of God says. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth where? In you. So notice that the, the sanctuary in the New Testament is not a tent even anymore. It is now a, a, a human being. God wants to dwell in you and me. One of the most profound thoughts that you could ever ponder is to think that God wants to dwell in you and I. That is powerful. That, that is wonderful. You can study all the religions of the world and you will not find a God so benevolent, so intimate that He wants to have this kind of relationship with humanity. That He can dwell in them and be with them and be their God. Sit on the throne of their hearts. Change their hearts. Change their minds. Give them new desires. That's a God worthy to be praised. That's a God worthy to be worshipped. And it goes even further than this. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, notice what the Word of God says. He says, Ye also, again, Peter is teaching this to his, his, uh, his church, the people. And he says, You also are lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, and holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So what do we see him saying here? We see that he's communicating that we are to be lively stones and we are built up a spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacrifices, a holy priesthood. So God is communicating to his people that I want you to represent the stones of my spiritual house. You see, my friends, we don't have a literal stationary sanctuary anymore. The sanctuary was destroyed in 70 A.D., and we know that what happened in A.D. 31, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the priest ran out of the temple screaming, Ichabod, Ichabod, the glory has departed. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus has fulfilled that, that, that type and antitype. He was the antitype of everything the sanctuary pointed to. But now the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has accomplished on Calvary must be preached to the world. That Jesus has not only saved us from the penalty of sin, but He goes on to save us through, through uh, sanctification from the power of sin and then praise His name when He comes back in the clouds of heaven. He will save us from the what? The presence of sin. I praise God for His sanctifying, saving grace. 
But God is wanting us to be lively stones, built up a spiritual house. So think of the Old Testament sanctuary. It was a tent, but then they made it stationary, right? And when they made it stationary, they had to build everything in the sanctuary based after the cornerstone, what's called the chief cornerstone. And I don't have time to to dive into all of the profundity and unpack all of that from that, but I, I want to submit to you that the chief cornerstone was the stone of the sanctuary that all of the other um, all of the other stones were to be measured to. So you had to look just like the chief cornerstone in order to be a part of the sanctuary. So when they were going into the quarry and they were cutting out stones, my friends, they would check to make sure that every stone had no spot, no blemish, no cracks, and that it matched up to the absolute perfection of the chief cornerstone. And so what Jesus is telling us in this verse in 1 Peter 2 and 5, he says, you are lively stones. You are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We are to be a representation of that chief cornerstone. And as you and I are giving our lives to Jesus, each stone, as we look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, as we look unto Him, He writes our happy endings. And only Jesus can write happy endings, by the way, guys. Keep that in mind. You and I cannot write happy endings. No matter how hard we might try, if you have the pen in your hand, and you're trying to write your own happy ending, my friends, you will only be a miserable failure. I think if you walk long enough with Jesus, you find out that everything that when we try to do with them, something of our own strength, it ends up failing. But when we give the pen back to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I don't know what I'm doing. I need you, Lord, to work in and through me, both to will and to do according to your good purpose. Jesus says, give me the pen, my son. Give me the pen, my daughter. And I will write you a happy ending. And Jesus Christ promises that He will finish the work that he has, he has begun in you and I. And so again, we have the promise of sanctification. So we see here that God is wanting us to not be stationary, but we, our bodies, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are what God abides in now. So you could say that, that the Shekinah glory is supposed to dwell in you and I. So we all individually are to be like a sanctuary, a temple that, that is to go forth in the world, that is preaching the gospel message to the entire world, that the world might come to Jesus Christ, that they might look at you and I and recognize that God is in resonance and that God is in business and mine in your life. I praise God for that promise that he says we are lively stones, built up a spiritual house. Now let's go to Monday's lesson, and we're going to look at some some beautiful details here. In Monday's lesson, it says, becoming a blessing to the world. And this is exactly what God's plan for you and I is, to become a blessing to the world. And there's a question here that I I I want us to all ask together. In what way was God's instruction to Abram a call to mission? Well, if you pay close attention to the instruction God gave to Abraham, it's quite profound. In Genesis chapter 12, and beginning in verse 1, notice what the Word of God says. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from the kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make, thee, uh, make thy name rather great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So what we see taking place here is God is giving a promise to Abraham. He says, listen, I'm calling you out of this homeland that you've always known. 
And I'm calling you to go into a new land where some, where some people are already at. Because God's plan for Abraham, he saw a man that was willing. He saw a man that had a willing heart. And he said, I want to use that man. And right now, the Bible says in Jeremiah uh, chapter 10, that God's, even chapter 17 we read this, that God's eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth. That he might find someone whom he can use for his power and his glory. He searches, and the Bible says he tries the reins of the heart. As you would grab the, the bridle of a horse, and you, you get up on the horse, and you grab the reins of the horse, you know if the horse is going to be rebellious, or if it's going to be a willing servant for you. Jesus says, I try the reins of your heart. I want to make sure that you are a willing servant. And we see this with Abraham. Abraham was a willing servant. He was willing to surrender. He was willing to go into a land that he was not familiar with. And to a people that he was not familiar with. To be an example that his family might be a gospel sermon in and of itself to reach people. I want you to imagine for a moment how difficult that might have been. Maybe God has called you before and you can relate to this message. But God is calling all of us out of our comfort zones. And he's calling us to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that you can't go back to your home. It doesn't mean that you can't have a home stationary somewhere. But God is wanting you and I, my friends, to be a a sermon with our lives, not just with our mouths, but with our lives, that others might recognize God in us. And this was ultimately the plan that he had for Abram. Abraham was called to leave his home and his family. You say, man, that's kind of difficult. God's surely not calling us to leave our homes and our families, is he? Well, my friends, I want to communicate to you. Jesus Christ is not asking you to do anything that He has not already done. In order for salvation to come to humanity, the Son of God had to become the Son of Man. That He would lay aside all of His attributes. That He might be made like, according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, like unto sinful flesh. That He could relate to you and I. He had to leave His Father. He had to leave all of the angels in heaven. All of, all of the ones that He created. Jesus Christ left His heavenly family to come down to this wicked, sin-filled world to become a man. The Son of God became the Son of Man. And that's an amazing story. I could think of a hundred examples of men who wanted to be God in history, but there was only one story of a God who wanted to be man. And that's Jesus Christ. And out of all of the things, out of all of the good news you could ever ponder and think about, nothing is greater than that thought. If you ever wonder, does God love me? Does God really care about me? How am I going to be able to be called to mission? How am I going to be able to call to be doing all of these things that I don't feel that I have the power to do? Well, if you don't feel that you have the power to do it, praise God. Because if you walked around feeling that you had the power to be a missionary for Jesus, then that's probably a sign that you might be trusting in self. But when you say, man, I don't know that I can do this, God says, listen, my son, my daughter, my strength is made perfect in weakness. When you recognize your weakness, that is when God will combine His strength to your weakness. And it's not like when He combines His strength to your weakness that His strength is is weakened at all. You might have 1.5% out of 100% of strength. And you might feel so low and so down and so discouraged and feel like, man, I can never go and do the work that God's called me to do. But guess what? When Jesus Christ gives you His strength and He abides in you, 
the exact life that Jesus lived, his righteousness is imputed. His, his character is working in and through you and I. And he wants you and I, he desires for you and I to reflect his image. And he will give you his strength. He will give you his power that will change the lives of everyone around you and change you in the process. And so my friends, God does not ask us to do anything that he has not already done. When he combines his strength of 100% magnitude to mine and your weakness, his strength is still 100% and never is weakened by combining to your weakness. And I praise God for that. I want to share with you a testimony. Years, years ago, I was called into ministry right out of high school. I had grew up in high school and I was, I was again, I had it branded and beaten into my mind that if you want to be happy in this world, you got to try to, you know, live the American dream. Go to college and get a high-paying job and, 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 you know, keep up with the Joneses and make sure that you have enough money to buy all this stuff because that's what really brings you happiness. And I was looking at the Bible and studying the Bible as a senior in high school. And I started to apply for colleges and I started to apply for grants and apply for scholarships. I mean, I, I had all of these things there. I mean, the sky was the limit. If I wanted to be the next Elon Musk, Bill Gates or whatever, nothing was stopping me. I could have easily put in the work and done it. But as I was thinking about this as, as, a, as a 12th grader, a senior in high school, I thought, but then what? Let's say I accomplish the greatest you know, uh, amazing cultural things that you could possibly accomplish and, and that you're known as one of the greatest people of the century. But yet, the life that you've lived hasn't been really worthy of the death that Jesus Christ died. I thought, wow, you know, like, am I really a Christian if I could say I've done all of these wonderful things in the earth and I make all this money and I get all these things? The Bible says that it's all going to rust and burn in the end. I can't carry any of this with me to heaven. And I was brought to the scripture in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36 when Jesus said, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world, but then he lose his own soul? What shall it profit a man? And as I thought about this, I thought, man, I, I need to serve God. And God convicted me. God gave me an avalanche of conviction, a tsunami of conviction. And before I knew it, I was reaching out to my friends, my family, my loved ones. I went, to high, I went to, back to my old high school and I said said to my friends, I knocked on their doors and I said, guys, listen, I, I really need to talk to you. And I started sharing with them the gospel of Jesus and what God's doing in my life. How God has given me a purpose in life that's far greater than any other purpose I could have ever had doing anything else. And I had joy in my heart and they saw that. And they said, Dakota, we're with you. We want to do something too. We want meaning. We just graduated. We don't even know what to do with ourselves. They've acted like we're supposed to know all of these things at 18 years old. And I said, I know. I was like, in reality, as we're kids, but Jesus did wonderful things through kids. And He could do wonderful things through us. I don't want to slave for men anymore. I don't want to just get numbers in my bank account. I want to slave for Jesus Christ. I want to be, a, like Paul said, a bond slave of Jesus. And so, I began witnessing to all my family, friends, and loved ones. We started a small group Bible study. And that small group Bible study in 2013, in the spring of 2013, led to me giving my life to Jesus Christ, being baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist church with me, my wife, and like five other of my friends and some of my family members. And I praise God for what God did in my life. But then come the real challenge. Now that I've did all of this great small group Bible study work, God comes to us and He says, Now what? Are you just going to come and this is it? You're just going to keep meeting three times a week and doing great Bible studies and having snacks and games afterwards? Is, is this, this all? And I said, 
man, I feel so convicted to do something. Like, I got to do something. I got to share this. And I didn't know where to start. But I heard about a place called the Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism. A friend of mine had previously went the year before, and I'll never forget how joyous and, and how excited he was. And he was calling us throughout the program, and he was saying, Dakota, you're never going to believe this. Man, I'm learning how to give Bible studies. I, I, I'm actually giving Bible studies in the field, and a woman I'm studying with, she's giving her life to Jesus. God is using me to reach someone else, and I never thought he would be able to do this. And I've seen the, the joy in my brother's heart and in his mind. I said, man, I've got to give my life to Jesus, not just intellectually, accepting and believing all of the theological tenets that His Word preaches and promulgates. But i got to give my life to Jesus Christ by serving Him. The conviction came on, but then here come the devil. Without going into all the details, the devil tried his best to keep me from going into ministry. From keep me, to keep me from going to AFCO, the Amazing Fact Center of Evangelism. And by the way, if you're watching this program right now, and you say, man, I don't know what to do with my life. I want to do something. I don't care if you're 18 years old, just like I was fresh out of high school, or if you're 93. The oldest student we've had so far at AFCO is 93 years old. Praise God. You say, I'm not too old to serve Jesus. And I'm not too young. I can serve Jesus. And you've been wondering what to do with your life. I just want to throw this in here. Consider AFCO. Get on your knees and pray and say, God, I don't even know what AFCO is, maybe. But Lord, if it's your will for me to go, help me to convict my heart about going to AFCO. It's a three-month course, and it changed my life forever. God didn't convict me to go to college. I don't stand before you with some great PhD in theology. I stand before you as a man who went to HSU, Holy Spirit University. And I graduated with a PhD there. I'm preparing for his descending I'm doing all that I can for Jesus Christ. I'm doing all that I can to prepare people for His kingdom. Not because I'm some great smart person. Not because I have the great intellectual understanding of that. Only because God did the work in and through me and is continuing to. And He will do it through you if you open your heart and your mind to Him. Now the promotion is done. <laughs> I had to throw that in there though. So Abraham is called to leave his family. I wonder if God calls you and says, will you be willing to go? Will you be willing to leave your family? Will you go? Are you willing to go? That's the main question. If we go to Tuesday's lesson, we'll see that when God calls you into ministry, and He calls you to, to serve Him, you're going to run into obstacles. It's not going to be some smooth, paved road all the way you know, to, to heaven. In fact, we're told in, in Matthew chapter 7 that difficult is the way which leads into life, and few there be that find it. The, the way to life is not easy, my friends, especially when you're in ministry. The moment you decide to follow Jesus, I'm going to go and warn you. The devil's going to put you right in his crosshairs, and he's going to say, Oh, okay, you want to follow Jesus, okay? You want to serve him? Let's see. And he's going to attack you full throttle. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Your God is bigger than your devil. And you always remember that. Jesus Christ will give you the power. He will give you the, the strength to, and the fortitude to press on. Abraham's call was, was, was answered. He answered the call, rather, that God had given him. And we pick this up in Genesis chapter 12. When you read verses 10 on to chapter 13, you read about this story. And I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but I'm going to kind of hit some of the highlights with you. You probably remember this story or heard of it before. 
Abraham was fleeing to the land uh, that God called him out of, uh, or fleeing to the land, rather, that God had, um, had brought him to, the, the promised land, you could say. And he had to seek help in Egypt. So as soon as he showed up in the promised land, he had to seek help in Egypt because a famine had come. And the moment you try to start following the plan of God, the devil's going to throw obstacles your way. He's going to throw famines at you. He's going to throw pestilence at you. He's going to try to get you sick. He's going to try to get you down. And this is to be expected. But God was going to give you the glory. I can promise you. He's going to give you the, the victory to where you can overcome. As he says in Revelation chapter 3, To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I also overcame and sit down with my father in his throne. So notice, he goes to Egypt. And in Egypt, they have this conundrum. Abraham is scared that the Egyptians are going to see his wife because apparently she was super fine. He had a really fine wife. And he was concerned that they might kill him if he knew that, if they knew rather that he was married to her. So he comes up with this idea. He says to Sarah, tell them that you are my sister and that I'm just your, your brother and um, maybe they won't kill me. And so they get there in Egypt and of course... Pharaoh takes Sarah in and he's planning to make Sarah his wife. And I'm sure he's putting the arrangements in order, probably trying to do something really good for her, bringing out the roses and, and, the, and all of the, the flowers and all of that and some music. And as this is going on, God strikes Pharaoh and his family with a, a warning. And Pharaoh then realizes, I, this, this, this clearly, something's wrong here. And he confronts Abraham and Abraham admits to lying to Pharaoh. So this automatically, from the beginning of, of Abraham's jump into ministry, he's not really vindicating the character of God very well. He's supposed to be this man that has a God that is in the heavens, that is the creator of the universe, and be connected with Him. He's supposed to be the witnessing agent to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. And yet he comes lying to the Egyptians. Instead of trusting God, that God would protect him, and that even if they did arrest him, and even if they did beat him, God would deliver him just as He delivered Joseph. He doubts, and he comes up with his own plan to solve the issue, and he learns a valuable lesson. Now, I want you to think about something. Imagine how amazing and wonderful it would have been if Abraham would have told the truth. I wonder what could have happened through that story. We don't know, but imagine if he would have told Pharaoh the truth. Maybe he could have been a wonderful, magnanimous, powerful instrument of witnessing to Pharaoh. He could have introduced Pharaoh to this God that called him into a different land. And he could have been a wonderful instrument to sow a seed of truth in the land of Egypt. But now Pharaoh is so upset as what happened, he tells Abraham and his family to leave. Get out of here. So his first missionary journey wasn't the most successful. But nevertheless, in minding your failures in ministry, in minding your failures to witness, and you will have failures... You will make mistakes. I've made plenty of them. One of the biggest mistakes we make oftentimes in being a missionary for Christ is we give people the spiritual machine gun. They ask, well, what do you believe in? And we, we hit them with, the, with, you know, state of the dead and hellfire and, and salvation. And we hit them with all of these heavy truths and, and all of these things so fast and so quick. We hit them with the law and we hit them with the Sabbath and we hit them with the mark of the beast and the seal of God. And before you know it, they're in information overload and they, they, they themselves are not ready to receive all of this stuff. You've gave them the spiritual machine gun and you've blown them away. And now 
You've almost killed your witness. This is things I've done before. You know, they say confession is what? Good for the soul, but hard on the reputation. I tell you these things so you don't make the same mistakes. You will make mistakes along the way. But praise God for His patience and His long-suffering to us. He wants, to, he wants to use us. And along the way of using us, God helps us to see our own need of salvation. In Wednesday's lesson, we, we learn about the early church and comfort zones. We see this question that arises on Wednesday's lesson that's very paramount. Notice what it says. What caused the believers to scatter abroad and move outside their comfort zones? And what was the result? You might remember in the book of Acts, chapter 8 to be exact... Saul was bringing persecution against the, the, uh, the disciples. He was bringing persecution against the, the Christians that were converting, the people that were converting over to Christianity. And we pick it up in Acts chapter 8. We're going to read verses 1 and verse 4. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 and verse 4. Notice what verse 1 says. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 4 says, Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So notice what brought about them moving everywhere to preach the word. It was the persecution. Along the way, and you sharing the gospel of Christ, the moment you start to share the gospel with someone... You're going to see all kinds of things start to happen with the people that you're sharing, especially the gospel with, to you and the people. And you probably experienced this, some of you already, if you've been witnessing. But some of you that maybe have not been witnessing and sharing your faith, if you step out and do this, you're going to learn there's a lot of lessons God's trying to teach you. And through these experiences, sometimes when we're not witnessing the way that we should, God will allow persecution to come. And there's something about persecution that when we receive persecution... It makes us to want to stand up and to march in the face of persecution and preach even louder. If you remember the civil rights movement back in the 1950s and 60s, many of the, 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 the um, African Americans, they were receiving all kinds of cruel treatment from the white Americans. And what took place was, was horrible. They had different bathrooms, different water fountains. They, they were receiving all kinds of persecution because of racist values and views that were being pressed and branded upon the minds of many American people. And through the persecution that they kept receiving ongoing, they finally stood up. They finally started marching. Not in an irreverent way necessarily, but they marched with passion and zeal down the streets. And they held up signs. And they said, we want equality. We need change. And they knew that just by holding those signs, they could get shot. They could be killed. But what a wonderful example of what it's like when persecution comes upon us. It brings us to the point of wanting to preach louder. Wanting to do what we believe in even more. And so my friends, so likewise it is with the gospel. When you are persecuted... When persecution comes upon you, it will awaken within you to be scattered abroad. That you will go forth to the uttermost parts of the world, even in the face of death, willing to preach the gospel of Christ. Because you know that Jesus said in the Great Commission, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the age. What a wonderful promise. What, what gave the church this mighty boldness to preach in the face of death? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
I'm going to bring out something here in this passage that maybe you haven't seen. Again, one of my favorite verses, this is our memory verse for the study here. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now let me just unpack this for a moment. Power. God says you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. I can tell you right now, even at the beginning of this recording, I was a little bit nervous. But as the, as the Holy Spirit begins working and, and using me even now, I can tell you, my friends, the, the, the memory begins to fire. The neurons begin to work. Things begin to fire off. And praise God for His power. Praise God for His Word. Praise God for His truth. But what is that power? It's not just inspiration. It's not just the ability to speak. It's not just memory. Oh, it's much more than that. The word power in the original Greek, the New Testament was written in the Greek, and when you look at the Greek word for power, it's the Greek word dunamis, which is the word dynamite. You might recall the famous television show some years ago called Good Times. And there was a character on that show called J.J. And he, would always, he was always famous for walking in the, the room when something good would happen. And he would say, dynamite! Well, guess what? This is exactly what the power is here in this verse. It's dynamite. God gives you and I power to be a witness. Notice, you shall be witnesses. Now, the word witness here is actually the word martyr in the original Greek. So God is saying, listen, you are going to receive power to be a witness. Not necessarily that you will have to die for your faith, but that you will be a living sacrifice. You will be a living sacrifice powerful sacrifice. The only way you and I could truly serve Jesus Christ and be a witness is we must first die to self. Then Jesus sits on the throne. Then Jesus grabs a hold of the reins of mine in your heart and he shows us which direction to go. He delivers us to the people that need to be talked to, creates divine appointments for you and I to have. And I praise God that he gives us power, the dynamite, to be a witness. Notice, unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Thursday's lesson, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but Thursday's lesson is, is also got a lot of profundity to it. It's titled, Starting from Where You Are. Oftentimes, we think of being a witness for Christ that we have to go overseas or we have to go to another country because we, we have in our own ideology that, that, again, that America or people in our own country, well, they already know the gospel, wherever it may be that you're from. But that's not necessarily the case, my friends. People in America, many of them don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of them, many of your neighbors, the, the people that's dwelling in your block and in your neighborhood, do not know Jesus Christ yet. They might, they might say that they've heard of Jesus, but that doesn't mean they know the gospel of Christ. The good news that God is giving them power to change them and mold them and shape them and to save them from sin. Not in sin, but from sin. So you've got to start where you are. Don't think, oh, I feel so convicted. I need to go to, over to Africa. Well, praise God if God's put, putting conviction on your heart. But think, you don't have to make such a big move right off the bat. God wants to use you right where you are. And so we notice in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Notice, he says, You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem... And in all Judea, notice Jerusalem and Judea first, that's where they are in their area, and in Samaria. And then he says, unto the uttermost part of the earth. So God says, listen, I'm going to use you here where you're from first. There's people that don't know me. There's people that don't have a a meaningful relationship with me. I'm going to use you here first, and then I will send you to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
Start where you are. Start where you are. You can say, I'm serving in a church right now, and I want to witness more. Start where you are. Start ministering to the people in your church. Start reaching out to missing members. Go grab the, go grab the church clerk and say, hey, listen, I need the missing members list. He or she won. Get, get them to give you the missing members list. If they don't have it, start a missing members list. You guys got to reach out for the salvation of people. Some people fall back into sin. They get discouraged. They fall away. God has called us not just to bring the gospel to new people, but to bring people back to the gospel that they may have been taken away from. Jesus Christ wants us to be witnesses for Him. And He does not give us any discouragement along the way. In fact, Jesus says you and I can be a powerful change in the world. There's so many stories I could share with you coming to my mind right now, but... I'm going to share one with you here. God has followers preaching the gospel all over the world. But the only way you can truly be a true change is to start where you are. And that's what I did. Back in 2013, as I said earlier, I'll pick up where I left off. I went to the Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism. But before I went, I'll tell you what happened. I was concerned that if I went all the way to California, from Arkansas all the way to California, I wasn't going to be able to share the gospel to the world and, and be able to do that and my parents be okay. I thought, oh man, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to go and preach the gospel and then what's going to happen? Something bad's going to happen to my parents. Something bad's going to happen to my, my, my loved ones. And then I'm going to feel bad that I went all the way across the world when I should have stayed home and taken care of my parents. And all of this doubt the devil brought in my mind. But along that time, I watched a video from a minister by the name of Eric Ludi. It was a divine appointment for me. I need encouragement. And I want to read you that video right now. I, I, I literally copied and pasted the transcript from that video. I'm going to read it just as, as much enthusiasm as he read it to me. The video is called Asking the Tough Questions from Pastor Eric Ludi. He said, what are you attracted to? What is it that moves you in this life? There's something that gets you up off the couch. What is it? Gold? Or God, you choose. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Which one has the greater appeal in your life? Which one is driving you? Which one gets you up in the morning? Which one will cause you to risk life and limb? Gold or God? Do you really trust Him? That's the question. Do you believe that His Word is in fact the Word of God and wholly backed by the integrity of the Almighty? He promises to back those who believe and He cannot lie. So are you willing to lay it all on the line in this generation to prove your God faithful? Are you, one of the, or are you one of the humbugs saying, I pray thee, have me excused? You're busy. And though we have a dying world out there, there are some of them right down the street. And you're too busy to go reach them. You say, I pray thee, have me excused. I'm not one that can really accomplish that. Well, C.T. Studd was 52 years old on death's doorstep and said, Don't pass me over, Lord. You see, there's a discrepancy between us and C.T. Studd. We need what he had. Do we have a C.T. Studd in our midst that's willing to say, Lord, I don't care what it comes with. There are lost people in the world that need Jesus Christ. Or would you rather someone else go instead of you? Do you have a limit to your obedience? Do you say, I'm willing to follow God to this point, but anything beyond this point is extreme? Who came up with that? Doesn't God own you? 
Has he not purchased your body and you belong to Jesus? Who are you to give your life to Jesus Christ and then define the terms of how he will use you in your life? Do you have a limit to your obedience? Because if you have a limit to your obedience, something is wrong with your Christianity. Am I willing to serve forgotten, without applause? We really like to be known, and we really like the applause. Let's just admit it, and then let's answer the question. Are we willing to forgo the comforts of life for the glory of Jesus Christ? If if any of you are an American, you know the value that we put on the comforts of life. God wouldn't actually ask me to forgo those, would He? That's, That's not right. Are you willing is the question. It doesn't mean He will ask you to... you to just be miserable. But the question is, are you willing to go where there aren't comforts? You know, there's a lot of horrible places in the world that haven't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. East Timor, Afghanistan, Iraq, Liberia. You know, there are some rough places out there. Some don't even have paved roads or electricity. But are you willing to go and to forego the comforts of life for your king? By the way, the life on this earth is very short. But if you're willing to give up for a short season your existence to serve your king well, God will use you wonderfully. No matter what the cost, are you willing to go anywhere? No matter what the danger of darkness, are you you willing to go anywhere? Because if you say no, who do you expect in this generation to say yes? Are you willing to live lonely among the heathen? Am I willing to suffer in my body? Am I willing to be an etc., an insignificant, a nobody for the glory of Jesus Christ? Do you require notoriety? Are you willing to serve unnoticed? You see, my friends, these are the questions we have to be asking ourselves. Is this for your reputation or for His? Gold or God? What moves you? What gets you up off the couch? You choose. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful study. Be with us and help us to be everything you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't forget to request today's life-changing free resource. Not only can you receive this free gift in the mail, you can download a digital copy straight to your computer or mobile device. To get your digital copy of today's free gift, simply text the keyword on your screen to 40544 or visit the web address shown on your screen. And be sure to select the digital download option on the request page. It's now easier than ever for you to study God's Word with amazing facts wherever and whenever you want. And most important, to share it with others.